Welcome in to the best in true crime talk radio. This is True Crime Tuesday. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Got a good show today. We're going to deal with something a little touchy, especially if you've got touchy familial relations. We're going to be talking about family, friends, and neighbors, stories of murder and betrayals. Our guest is a an old friend of the show, Richard Estep. We're going to be talking about his brand new book, which I just told you, Family, Friends, and Neighbors, Stories of Murder and Betrayals. We'll talk about some cases in the media that you've heard of. We'll talk about some other cases you might not have heard of, but sound familiar and are very familiar in our culture. Let's bring in our guest, shall we? And we'll, we'll get right to it. Richard Estep is the author of 20 books of this variety, over 30 books total, most of them in the field of paranormal nonfiction, including serial killers, the minds, methods, and mayhem of history's most notorious murderers, and the serial killer next door, the double lives of notorious murderers. He's a regular columnist for Haunted Magazine and has also written for the Journal of Emergency Medical Services. Richard also appears regularly on the TV shows Haunted Case Files, Haunted Hospitals, and Paranormal 911. And we were both on a show called Paranormal Night Shift. British by birth, we don't hold it against him. Richard now makes his home a few miles north of Denver, Colorado. We love that about him. He also serves as a paramedic, God bless him, and lives with his wife and a menagerie of adopted animals, and we love that about him as well. Let's welcome into our show, Richard Estep. Hi, Richard. Hi, Tim. How are you, my friend? Very well, my friend. We appreciate you being on once again. I love this book, Family, Friends, and Neighbors, Stories of Murder and Betrayal. It also makes me want to sleep with one eye open when I'm around my relatives. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's interesting to me. I'd written a couple of books. You just named them about serial killers, which are perennially interesting, of course. But um, the odds are, you know, and life is a game about playing the odds, right? The odds are that if you're going to be murdered, uh, then it's not going to be a Richard Ramirez or a John Wayne Gacy, you know, or, or a Ted Bundy. Um, it's overwhelmingly likely this is someone that you know, someone that you live with, someone that you're in a relationship of some kind with, whether romantic or familial or a friendship um, or, or, or a working relationship, a colleague or a co-worker. So I think that's something that uh, isn't, uh, isn't considered as often as it should be. The odds that you have in the book are staggering as to who it is that's going to kill you if they're going to kill you. As you just pointed out, it's probably going to be a family member or it's going to be a familiar, like a, a, a loved one, like a, a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. Mm -hmm. That in itself is staggering. It's frightening. I, you know, and you would think if, if it's going to be someone you trust, it's someone that you bring into your heart, someone you bring into your home, someone you bring close to you. And then you go, but wait a minute, it's just a turn of the knife. And as it, as the song says, there's a thin line between love and hate. Mm -hmm. And you go, but am I really safe? Is it is it one of those things where we always have to be on our guard, Richard? Or is it something where we can let the guard down and, and just say, you know what, it's not something I'm going to worry about? I don't think if you worried about it too much, you would ever get anything done and you would, you would sleep with one eye open forever. Um, all you can do in life is all you can do. And, and one of the main things I wanted to achieve, the single most important thing I wanted to highlight with this book was the fact that, uh, number one, overwhelmingly, um, uh, males are more likely to kill females. Women suffer far more from familicide 
um, than males do uh, and, uh, from um, from homicide also uh, by intimate partners, you know, whether it's a current spouse or an ex um, or a wannabe partner even uh, than males do. Uh, and uh, there is a huge link between domestic violence, uh, domestic abuse, and this type of crime, enormously so. So um, the final four pages of the book contain resources for anyone who might be in a situation where they or someone they know um, is experiencing um, violence of any type, um, whether it's be it domestic or some other kind. Um, and uh, I really hope that people look for the signs and are willing to, to try and get help and seek help before tragedy happens, because so many of these tragedies began uh, not with this explosion of violence, but with small acts of abuse, which escalate and escalate. Which brings me to this topic, and, and I appreciate the fact that you have those resources in the book. It, it really is helpful to to anybody out there who may be struggling in that type of relationship. Mm-hmm. Why don't restraining orders work, and what can we do to to get them to start working because it seems like this type of abuse and this type of act springs from the fact that we're sorely lacking with enforcing a restraining order. Well, there are situations in the book. I've covered both types of cases. There are situations in which the system clearly failed um, the victims uh, that there were singular or numerous, even multiple systemic failures. And no, everyone agrees that our system is imperfect and it needs some kind of reform. On the other hand, there are those cases in which the hands of the police were effectively tied, the hands of law enforcement were tied, because a certain type of pathology or psychosis will ignore a restraining order as if it isn't even there, because they don't play by the rules. And they're not going to. And so, you know, the vast majority of us are individuals that abide by the law and we play by the rules and you know if 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 you're slapped with a restraining order then you obey that restraining order those that don't are the truly dangerous individuals um because a piece of paper isn't going to stop a certain type of somebody from acting no matter how you word it um or how you enforce it does it require a tougher type of law or does it require a tougher type of law enforcement in order to get in front of this or does it simply require a more devious way of trying to keep away from this type of criminal in order yes. to stop this or, or a little bit yes. of both. Yes. To all of the above. I mean, each situation is unique. There's no cookie cutter solution here. No one size fits all. Um, in some cases, I would say that the victim, some of the tragic cases, the victim has done everything right and still pays um, the price for it, for, for trying to do that. Um, in which case their best option is to remove themselves from that situation. And, you know, we, we look at things like stalking. Stalking is an insidious crime, even something that seems as innocuous as uh, initially anyway, you know, as, as following someone's activities on social media. When taken to an, an obsessive, excessive level, um, the roots of something far more dangerous can be born there. So crimes like even cyber stalking, which is notoriously difficult to prove and prosecute, um, need to be taken very, very seriously before they can escalate. I was watching um, an episode of Drink Champs um, with Ice-T. He was talking about mm-hmm. how his daughter, how they handled it the old-fashioned way, how you had, um, he said, you know what, talk to he he was telling his daughter talk to a few of 
your uh, your friends down there and tell them Ice T needs a favor. And he said that'll go a long way. You know, talk to a few a few uh, male friends of yours, have them get together, mm-hmm. find this guy, surround him, and say, "Hey, listen, you need to back off if you know what I'm saying. Otherwise, you're gonna you're gonna suffer some consequences." You know, because she's got brothers, she's got friends, Mm -hmm. she's got people in her life that would just as soon see you gone as you, you know, if you value your life, if you value your health, you'll disappear. Is that, and I'm never, I'm never going to advocate taking the law into your own hands. Right. And that's, that's where this question's going. Is Mm -hmm. that a fair way of, street justice that type of street justice is that the way we should really be handling things because that's a more dangerous way of of dealing with things in a vigilante way than than saying hey you know going through the proper way of justice is that really what we the message we should be sending people is hey you know what let's take it into our own hands and and put that you know message out to people that hey don't mess with me or i'll mess back that can also have tragic consequences and it can also backfire. So again, as I said, you know, number one, I'm not going to encourage anybody to take the law into their own hands. Number two, um, every situation is unique. Every situation is different and it has to be addressed um, on the basis of of a whole bunch of factors, you know? So the legal avenue um, is one that everybody should consider. There are cases though, in which no legal, um, protection is going to be enough because the individual in question is so mentally uh, compromised, so unstable that it, it simply doesn't matter. And they're on a quest to make the life of their victim hell uh, from the outset. And, and pieces of paper or even a night or two in the jail cell um, won't stop them. In which case, you know, the other measures that have to be taken, um, maybe, maybe the individual that's being that's the victim has to just get away and start over which is a huge thing, right? Uprooting your life entirely. It's also much harder to disappear now than it has been in the past. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, stalkers are using the internet um, in order to follow the move of, of, of their victim. Every move, they'll spend hours and hours tracking what they do. Uh, and that's kind of terrifying because the there is no expectation of privacy anymore if you are on social media. Is there a way to have someone cool off and get a distance away from an intended target legally to, to just have a cooling off period between parties so that we can avoid tragedies like this in the future. I mean, it's a terrific idea. And sometimes uh, that cooling off period involves a night in the cells, Um, you know, and then a, a word with the judge who says, Hey, you understand what no contact means. Right. And again, for, for some individuals that works. Uh, and it's great that that does work. Tragedy can be derailed early, but for the truly pathological personalities, it doesn't matter what is said or done. They are so obsessive. Um, there is a psychosis at work. There is deep mental illness at work. It is all but impossible to to legislate against that. They're going to do what they're going to do. Yeah, I tell you, and and it's hard too with with the subject of the book, which is of course family, friends, and neighbors. You're so mm-hmm. tied together and so intimately tied together that a lot of times there's not that separation. You got to live with each other. I mean, you're right. Especially there. now, right? I mean, um, we we live in a day and age when we hear about um, 
children, and I say children, ranging into their 20s, 30s, and sometimes 40s, that are forced to live with their parents because they simply cannot afford to support themselves. Not that they may not have jobs, but because the cost of living is so horrendously high. You have uh, couples that are unable to leave one another because nobody can afford a place to move into. And so they're stuck in this kind of pressure cooker environment. COVID, uh, the lockdown, you know, there was an increase in domestic violence because you have people forcibly um, uh, cooped up together in the same four walls for an extended period of time. And no matter how much you might care for that other person, people grate on people after a while. You know, we are social animals, but we are not meant to be in close proximity that much for that long. Ask anybody who ever went to boot camp. Right. Very much so. Very much so. I want to get your opinion uh, before we go to our break about a few of the cases you have in the book that are current and are developing uh, mm-hmm. because you, you're very timely with this book. Uh, first one I want to talk about is Scott Peterson, which actually mm-hmm. has new developments in that people are actually now saying that, uh, and for lack of a better, better term, I'll have you, I'll have you recap the Scott Peterson case real quick. And why people may think that Scott Peterson may now have not done it. Why are people yeah. saying that they think he hasn't done it? Um, can you recap the Scott Peterson case real quick for us and, and why people may think that now he may not have done it? Yeah, so essentially Scott's wife, uh, Lacey, was uh, out walking the dog uh, one morning and um, never came home. The dog was later found wandering free. So um, it's believed that she was uh, abducted, taken out on a boat and killed. Um, and of course, Scott Peterson had been to a marina. He'd been around boats. Um, there was uh, talk of an established motive that he had wanted her gone. Um, and whenever there is uh, a murder, suspicion instantly falls upon the nearest and dearest first. The first person um, that law enforcement investigators look at is always the spouse, mm-hmm. right? Always, if there's a spouse. And that's just one of those law of averages statistical things. It so often turns out to be that individual um, that that is responsible. So um, Scott Peter, her, her torso um, re- remains of Lacey Peterson would eventually wash up, uh, unfortunately, and it was proven that she had been uh, dumped into uh, dumped into the bay. Um, and I'm sure the killer hoped that she would never be found, but indeed she was. So Scott was convicted uh, of her murder. Now, what developments are you referring to uh, most recently? Well, recently, there's been speculation that perhaps he's not guilty, and they're talking about potentially wanting to, re- I don't want to say reverse reverse the decision, but wanting to maybe even appeal his decision um, and even go for another retrial. And I don't know what the, I don't know what the, the evidence is that would retry him, but there, there's there's this groundswell of people saying, no, Scott Peterson is innocent, and here's why. I haven't seen any evidentiary discoveries, and that just may mean I haven't seen them, not that they don't exist. In order to have a, a retrial, you usually need a compelling reason for that to happen. Um, now, we do live in a day and age when DNA, um, the technology of DNA and the te- our ability to... Um, to make matches increases over time. It's why DNA from so many of these unsolved cases uh, is kept um, on storage, kept on ice, you know, uh, so that if 10, 15, 20, 50, 100 years down the line, 
um, there may be that development which which cracks the case wide open. So the, I'm not aware. Go ahead. Sorry. The uh, I'm sorry. The Los Angeles Innocence Project has taken up the case now mm-hmm. with with Scott Peterson and new court filings. Um, and there's there's also another investigator that says the evidence wasn't properly investigated. And this is from a story that's dated January 18th. Mm-hmm. And it says his attorneys are seeking dozens of items they say could not they could not locate after reviewing the trial files from his prior counsel after a thorough search. According to the filings, the items include evidence from the investigations into a December 2002 burglary of a home across the street from the Petersons in Modesto in Stanislaus County, Lacey mm-hmm. Peterson's missing Croton watch and a van fire in the airport district on December 25th of 2002, according to the filings. They're also seeking mm-hmm. documents from interviews with several witnesses. Paul Mitchell, from the director of the LA Innocence Project, said she found deficiencies, that's in quotes, while reviewing the discovery of Scott Peterson's case and sent a letter to Stanislaus County District Attorney Jeff Laugaro on November 14th of 2023, seeking informal production of numerous specific items of post-conviction discovery, according to a declaration included in the filings. Uh, The letter includes private identifying information concerning numerous citizens, potential material witnesses, and possible suspects, as well as sensitive investigative leads relating to Mr. Peterson's claim of innocence information that was referenced throughout various police reports, tip sheets, and other investigative materials from both the prosecution and the defense that wasn't reviewed, or that I reviewed, she said, uh, in her declaration. Hmm. Well, whenever new um, facts come to light, I mean, it's it's incumbent. They have to be investigated. This has to be followed up on. So um, I think one of the other things about the Peterson case was it was one of those murders in which there were no truly compelling suspects other than Scott Peterson, you know, Um, which doesn't make the man guilty. The fact that there isn't another compelling suspect does not make the individual guilty. Um, I know that he was seen to have uh, a motive. There was an element of trial by media and sensationalism to the Peterson case Mm -hmm. for multiple reasons. Um, If there is grounds for a retrial, then I hope it happens. Because that's how the system is supposed to work. Right, right. And you're you're absolutely right about that. Um, But at the same time, and as it's pointed out in your book, and it's it's pointed out quite eloquently, his alibi changes slightly at first he's at the marina he's fishing and then it's well i I was golfing and then Mm -hmm. you know it it changes a little bit there it's not a stable alibi he doesn't repeat it you know uh with with uh, a a vim and vigor it isn't there consistently Mm -hmm. there's no consistency to the the alibi um it's funny that I don't want to say it's funny. It's not funny at all. But, you know, Lacey and the fetus wash up mm-hmm. not too far away from the marina. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's just there's too many uh, coincidences that, that happen. It's, it's not that I disagree with you at all. Um, I don't think what I would come back to is this, though. The question is, is there reasonable doubt? Right. Right. Is there reasonable doubt? And if there is reasonable doubt, that should mean an acquittal. Um, so all of the factors you just mentioned should absolutely play into the case for the prosecution, uh, and the, the jury's consideration and deliberations. True. Very true. Very true. Uh, let's talk about another case you have in the book, Alex Murdoch. Hmm. 
that uh, fairly recent, and things are still compiling on him. Uh, he's now we're we're into taxes. We're talking about yeah. uh, tax dodging. I mean, we're pretty much past the murder phase of things, or are we? I mean, there's still there's still things going on with his son, um, but that case is still, for lack of a better term, it hasn't finished. I mean, there's still things going on no. with that. It's it's become um, it's, it's transitioned from being becoming a murder case and morphed into a uh, embezzlement fraud financial case, uh, which is kind of interesting. Uh, we obviously know that murder is the more serious crime, but yeah, things keep compounding um, as it becomes evident that he was defrauding um, the people who entrusted him with his money of uh, millions and millions of dollars. So um, I think that as the investigation continues as well having already been um, found guilty of other crimes, it's going to be hard for him to get anything approaching a fair trial because he's now perceived as already being a criminal with a lot to hide. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's investors, man, that are lining up and, mm -hmm. and want their money. I mean, it, sure. can you get blood from a stone? That's, that's the question. That's it. And, um, does it? I mean, ultimately, what's going to happen? Is it going to tack on years to the time he spends in prison? Is, is it going to mean he never gets out? I don't know what the upshot will be. Um, but uh, yeah, his his worries. Prison may be the best place, the safest place for Alex Murdoch right now. Ironically, yeah, exactly. Gypsy Rose Blanchard uh, is out oh, of yeah. prison. She's free now. Uh, in in the book, you had mentioned that she's. She was, I think at the time of, of publishing of the book, she was close to being out. You mentioned she was close mm -hmm. to being out. She's now free. And I think she's more controversial free than she was in prison. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of the responsibility for that goes to the individuals that are um, cashing in on her celebrity status. This is someone that undoubtedly had a hand in the savage and brutal death of her mother. And yes, I know there were mitigating factors and difficulties and those kind of things, which I wrote about in the book and every student of the case is familiar with and her boyfriend at the time of course is still imprisoned he's the one that wielded the actual knife but um let's not forget that gypsy rose who's been asked all kinds of comedy questions you know um and by the media right now um she is the one that led him into the house and provided him with the murder weapon and um essentially empowered and enabled him to commit that murder she is complicit um, in the savage death of her mother. So to see her out so relatively quickly um, and becoming kind of a darling of, of some parts of the media is very disturbing to me. Are we treating her with too much, too, too much of a kid glove? Is there, is it, is it too comical, too much of a sideshow? Do we need to pull it back a little bit and say, Hey, you know what? There's, there's blood on her hands too. And we need to stop with the, the media circus. Well, I think on the one hand, there is the concept that, you know, our legal system says that it is possible for you to pay a debt to society. You have your sentence, you serve your sentence, and then you are released, right? Um, but then there is that kind of more introspective element to it of, does that mean I will, that you should be on television, that you should be influencing people, that you should have an audience? Um, and that's the deeper question, right? The justice system would say that justice has been served in her case in that she she did serve her sentence and, and was released. Um, is this really someone we want to be listening to? Do we really want to be giving her a spotlight and a microphone now? Um, I personally would say not. We seem to have 
spun that cult of personality around uh, Gypsy Lee. We've done it with OJ. I mean, OJ's mm-hmm. got a, a regular microphone whenever he wants it, it seems like, whenever he wants to chime up on, on anything. Um, wh- what is it? Do we, do, we, do we like the bad boy, bad girl to chime in every once in a while on, on something because we, we think they're dangerous and it, it's the moth to a flame. What is it about that, that we want to hear from them on occasion? I don't think I see Gypsy Rose Lee as, as uh, sorry, Gypsy Rose uh, as being um, a Blanchard, not Lee. I don't think I see her as being dangerous. Um, I think it's more an element of this is a hate to use the term, but it applies colorful personality. Um, and, mark my words, she'll be doing a reality show or a panel show or a talk show or something. And then you get to the whole thorny waters of if you are involved in a murder like this, if you have culpability, should we be giving you money for this? Should you be allowed to cash in on this? Were it not for a role in the murder, um, she would not, she would not be on our screens. You know, she wouldn't have any kind of uh, visibility at all. I don't know what she would be doing, but it wouldn't be what she's doing now. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that that has to stick in the craw of a lot of people. You know, I think the thing to do in a case like this um, is you've done your time, you've gotten out, go disappear and start over and do something else. Go, go make amends in the real world. Right. Finally, before we go to break the Menendez brothers, mm. um, there, there's... I'm trying to remember the story I saw recently. Um, there was one that that detailed back in September of 2023 that Lyle Menendez had new evidence, and I don't know what particular evidence he think he had. Let me see if I can find it here. Um, but you know, there's a little bit of a sideshow there. I also interesting fact here. Uh, Richard, there's a there's a basketball card out there. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. There's a basketball card that's rare, and I happen to have a couple of them. I actually thought about giving one away to listeners of True Crime Tuesday, mm-hmm. and I may do that yet. Um, maybe I'll do it with this episode. Um, there's a basketball card, and it's a famous one, that's got, I don't remember who the player is, but you can see both Lyle and Eric sitting courtside in this basketball card and it's supposed to be worth a little bit of money. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they're sitting there and I think, I don't remember if it's Lyle that's looking off to the right. Eric is, is leaned in. He's talking to Lyle and it was, it was worth a little bit of money for a short amount of time because of the, again, cult of personality of Lyle and Eric sitting courtside because supposedly that picture was taken shortly after they murdered the parents. Hmm. It was one of those, you know, they, I think it was a, was it a Knicks player? Something to that effect. Um, or, or was a, one of the LA players. I'm not quite sure. I, I have to look at the card to be honest with you. Um, okay. So it says now, thanks to new evidence and another victim coming forward, Lyle Menendez tells legendary entertainer, Rosie O'Donnell on her podcast onward, that there may be a new chapter ahead for him and his younger brother, but it has been long and life shattering journey that Lyle tells Rosie may have ended differently. If the trial had happened today, he says there was no internet. There was no contacting friends. There was no school counselor asking what was going on at home. Nobody knew there was a problem with sex abuse with boys. Nobody asked those questions. 
questions. There was just no cultural mechanism to believe or to understand what was going on, Lyle said. Now, that's correct. And it's it's important to remember that every investigation and every jury trial happen um, in the vacuum, in the time that they take place. And what I mean by that is that right now, every single one of us, as we have our phones, our whereabouts are tracked, our browsing histories are tracked, you know, our instant messages and texts and phone calls can be subpoenaed um, and looked into. So in many ways, um, juries and investigators today have an easier time ascertaining the whereabouts and gathering evidence. And yes, when the Menendez brothers um, case first took place, none of that stuff was available. But you commit the crime in the era in which you commit the crime and you know the investigation and the trial happens in that same time if new evidence has come to light that's compelling that's great on the other hand you know while i don't disagree with statements like there was no um system easily in place to, to help see this coming and help mitigate it um that isn't a reason i don't think anyway to to overturn the original sentence what that would require is compelling evidence and um, uh, a retrial. Very true, very true. Let's take our break. When we come back, we'll talk to Richard a little bit more about some of the more infamous, not the famous, but the infamous murders that are there in this book, Family, Friends, and Neighbors, Stories of Murder and Betrayal. And I'll ask Richard, what was the one that stuck with him when he was researching this book? The one that uh, might have turned his stomach a little bit or tickled his fancy we'll, we'll ask those questions when we come back the book is family friends and neighbors stories of murder and betrayal it's available available via visible ink press we also have a link in the description of this program when we come back what was it that tickled richard's fancy or turned his stomach about family friends and neighbors stories of murder and betrayal we'll talk about that when we come back on true crime tuesday Welcome back to the best in true crime talk radio. This is true crime Tuesday. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Our guest is Richard Estep. The book is family, friends, and neighbors stories of murder and betrayal. And Richard Estep, of course, the author of this great book, it's available via visible ink press. We have a link to it in the description of this program. So Richard, uh, some of the more unusual stories in this book are, I think some of the more entertaining ones, and I say entertaining because we're we're far or further away from them, and we can we can kind of uh, take a look at them. And being that time has separated us a little bit, we can go. Glad we're not you know running into this person in modern day. Marianne Cotton is one of them, I, at least one of the ones I can I can cite and say I'm glad I don't run into her on a street corner. Um, that's one of the ones that that gets me. Can you tell us a little bit about Marianne Cotton and and why she's so unusual? Yeah, Marianne Cotton was in a particularly interesting case in that um, this is a case that's going back generations, you know, far beyond living memory. And she was known as being an arsenic poisoner. And you look at you look at statistics, you look at probabilities when you look at these kind of cases, you know, what is the likelihood? And if Marianne Cotton did not kill the number of people that she killed with arsenic, and there is some... There are, she does have some defenders out there, um, you know. Uh, if she did not kill them, then I hope she never bought a lottery ticket because <laughs> the people in her orbit died at a prodigious enough rate um, 
to make it exceptionally, exceptionally suspicious. Um, now, in those days, of course, arsenic was everywhere. You know, it was um, relatively common and people were dying of arsenic poisoning all the time. But when you look at any one individual who has just this number of deaths going on around them, you know, uh, family members, people that are close to them, especially when there is a, a husband and the possibility of an inheritance, which of course gives you a motive, you start to really question um, the, the likelihood that this is natural causes. And that's the way I think it is with Marianne Cobb. She, she didn't just run through a couple of people. She ran through families. She had whole yeah. families. She, 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 buttered up to and ran through and husbands, husbands, children, families. Uh, she was quite the uh, quite yep. the piece of work. <laughs> One of the most dangerous things you could be was Marianne Cotton's stepchild. Oh, yeah. You know, which is, you know, bad enough that you're her, her new intended husband, um, because at least you have some choice in the matter, but the kids didn't. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then would begin the stomach cramps, the nausea, the vomiting, the abdominal pain, and then, death how do you as a, as a researcher and an author uh, i mean there's got to be some internal feeling as you even as much time has passed since mm -hmm. marianne cotton and her killing spree but when you start thinking about the killing of children and, and as mm -hmm. you're researching different children who get killed i mean we, we talk about uh, jennifer hudson's uh, nephew mm -hmm. yeah and you, you look at how you know i mean there hasn't been that much time since he was he was killed and you think about innocent children that get killed in some of these stories that's got a way on you as a, as a as a researcher and an author doesn't it absolutely i mean the death of a child always uh, is deeply affecting the same is true when i'm working as a paramedic and, and have to deal with the loss of a child. And I think what it is, is that when an older person dies, when it's an adult, um, you have that feeling that they had an opportunity to at least live and experience some of life, mm -hmm. you know? Um, when it's a child, you just see all that missed potential, the fact that they're never going to get to grow up and fall in love and uh, have a family, uh, have children of their own. How many uh, Christmas holidays will they never get to have? How many you know, of the joys that we all take for granted has been stolen from them? So uh, I agree it's the innocence, but many of the victims in this book, the adults are innocent victims. Yes, we think of children as being more innocent, but... I think it's just the sheer tragedy of what was taken from them. You know, as a 50 year old man, if I'm killed tomorrow, heaven forbid, um, I've experienced a great deal of life and uh, 50, 54 years of it to a five year old that's lived one tenth the amount of time I have. That's a much greater loss and a much greater tragedy, I think. How, how do we. I know we all deal with death differently and tragic death differently, but how is it, how is it to, when you, when you work in it and I, and you work in it on multiple levels, how do you reconcile it and continue to move on and continue to work in that field? It can be challenging sometimes. Um, when, when it, I see death quite often and like most many medical professionals, be it physicians, nurses, PAs, paramedics, um, you know, my hands have been the, the first hands to bring somebody into the world and they've been the last hands to touch somebody immediately before they, they leave it or as they leave it. Um, and I think it's, it's really important to have a coping mechanism. Um, part of why I write these kind of books amongst others 
Um, I don't have a morbid or macabre fascination with the subject. Mm -hmm. I like to try and, number one, make sure that the the truly important individuals um, are not forgotten. And I don't mean the perpetrators. And I'm also very interested in what lessons we can learn so that hopefully in future we can help prevent this from happening. You know, the one thing that strikes me about all of the cases in this book, Tim, is that they all had the potential to be derailed at some point along the way. If somebody had reached out, if somebody had said something, if somebody had just said, are you okay? If, you know, and usually not just one thing, there were multiple places along the way where if there had been intervention, then the tragedy would never have happened. So I'm interested in what those points were, how we might identify them, how we might apply them to our own world, um, and how some good might be derived um, from this. I do like that about this book, and I do like that you you tackle that uh, in in all your books, but especially this one. Uh, how things can be avoided, how things can be, you know. And, and you're right; all these cases have that. That, that how you know if, if if this would have been done, if this would have been done, this could have been totally avoided. There's a there's a crux in every situation where or a fulcrum where if, if something would have went just a few degrees this way, we could have totally mm-hmm. avoided this situation. It's pointed out in every case. Um, I'd said before the break, there's got to be one story in this book that turned your stomach, one that tickled your fancy. What's one that turned your stomach, especially in this book? Um, I think the one that continues to turn my stomach above all the others is Amateurville or the DeFeo murders. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason is, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, the sheer amount of cashing in that has gone on in the Amateurville case, no matter whether you believe it was a genuine uh, haunting or what you think about what happened, the fact that there are now something like 50 or so movie sequels, um, that money continues to be raked in um, over the bodies of the DeFeo family, the tragedy of the DeFeo family. The only indisputable facts in the Amitable case are that that family was brutally and senselessly murdered, you know, and the fact that it has morphed into this pop culture, this iconic phenomenon that continues to, to grow and has made many people very wealthy, um, turns my stomach. I find it particularly distasteful. Yeah, yeah, I can't disagree with that at all. Uh, the one that might tickle your fancy a little bit, as much as it can be with a, a book about murder, one that might tickle your fancy a bit. I honestly don't have one, Tim. I mean, it, it was such a grim um, uh, subject to write about. When I finish a book like this, I almost need to go shower it off. You know, I need to write something very, very different. And I followed this up with a, a book on the history of World War II. Oh, um, okay. Which, which had hundreds of millions more deaths and yet was far more palatable to research and write about, you know. So uh, from beginning to end, this was a, a challenging and difficult emotion, emotionally book to write. I live in fear of the possibility that someone might think I write this kind of book to um, for people to, to, to get their jollies from, you know, um, when in reality, I'm trying to provide enough detail that it has the desired impact um, without it being lurid and um, without it being exploitative. And that's a very fine line to walk. Um, so each one of these books is very draining to write, uh, especially uh, considering, you know, 
the word count is usually about 75 to 80,000 words. And I'm looking at anywhere between 25 and, and 40 cases. That's a lot of police reports. You know, it's a lot of um, courtroom footage and uh, a lot of autopsy reports and things like that. So from beginning to end, I wouldn't do these books if I didn't think they had value or hope that they had value. Right. And they are, they are, they are fulfilling to write as a writer, but man, it's, um, they are the hardest books that I, that I'm ever, um, asked to write. I bet they are. I bet they are. Side note though, I'll give you a little world war two interesting tidbit here. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandfather was in world war two, served two different, uh, in two different theaters. Uh, he was, he was shot while in the army in the Italian theater. Mm-hmm. Um, he lied about being shot, went into the Navy because my, my great grandmother would not allow him to stay home and leave his brother over in Japan. So she told him, you get back in there. Um, so he got back in the game and went over into the Pacific Theater. He was in Corregidor in the Philippines and was one of the first frogmen. Um, so when he was in Corregidor, he was there for General Douglas MacArthur's MacArthur. yeah, visit to the Philippines and has pictures. And I have those pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my, my aunt made a disc for me of the different pictures that my grandfather had taken when he was over both in, in Italy and in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. I also have pictures. He was on a, a secret mission over to, um, over to Japan. And so I have some pictures from that too. And so I was looking through these pictures, but I have pictures of uh, not only general, general MacArthur, but he had met MacArthur's wife and he had, I didn't know this. I, I didn't know this even after he died. He had corresponded with MacArthur's wife oh, up wow. until she died. And there's a, That's letter, incredible. there's a letter from MacArthur's wife's um, secretary just thanking him for corresponding with her uh, after she had died. He had, he had gotten a thank you letter from, from his secretary or for her, her secretary, which I thought was amazing. I just thought that is that, that that's quite the story right there. Yeah. So I, I so a little side note for, for me yeah, you publicly uh, as far as world war two stuff went. Um, I'll tell you the one story in the book that I don't know if it tickles my fancy. Like you said, it's hard for anything to tickle your fancy when it comes to murder stories. But the one that I guess I guess kind of gets me on a not really a paranormal supernatural note, but on a just plain weird note, and I think you may know where I'm going with this, the Medicine Hat Murders, Stanky and Richardson. Can you tell our audience what exactly this is about and why it's so weird? The the uh, weird aspect of it, I want to be really clear, I, I know what you think is weird I'm, before I, I talk about it. So yeah. go ahead and tell me what you found to be weird and I'll talk a bit about it. The the vampirism? Uh... Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, Medicine Hat in Alberta. And um, he actually, the, the young man in question, um, and this is not an unusual thing, right? We have subcultures out there now with vampirism and, well, and the, werewolves and things like that. Yeah, the werewolf thing, vampirism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it happening in Canada, of all places, you know? I, well, I mean, <laughs> there are parts of Canada you don't get a whole lot of sunlight in the day. But no, he had these fantasies of being a vampire and of being a werewolf, you know, the whole 
which is which I guess means he was Team Jacob and Team Edward simultaneously, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Depending on the day or depending on his mood, I don't know how that works. But I mean, um, it, it was a, a very very strange case in that regard. Absolutely. Although I do think that that fascination um, with death and that fascination with kind of the otherworldly, um, there there are places on the Venn diagram right where that kind of meets with murder. Mm-hmm. And the main reason that I write true crime books right now that I was given the opportunity to do that was that I'd I'd written a book um, about the Velisca axe murders. I'd written a book about. Uh, the Fox Hollow Farm haunting, you know, and uh, a ghost book connected with John Wayne Gacy. And the audience, the interest tends to overlap. Individuals that are into true crime often find the paranormal satisfying and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So I don't see, um, I'm not really surprised that we have a case here in which the perpetrator had that interest as well. It's it's incumbent on us to point out, though, Tim, that the massive, overwhelming majority of people that are into these kind of things do not go out and murder people. They <laughs> to me, Richard. I mean, let's face it: Canadian vampire. You know, I I want to suck your blood. A, eh? I don't know. It just uh, you know, it doesn't ring true with me. <laughs> ah, va- vampires, vampires, anywhere, right? Um, Canada should be no exception if vampires are a thing. They're just so nice, though, Canadian people. I, you know, I, the only thing that rings true with the, I know my Canadian vampire jokes are falling short, um, but you know, the the only thing that rings true with me with Canadian vampires is that you have to invite them over the threshold. Well, without the A, you, all you've got is a vampire, so <laughs> you know that just wouldn't work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I always found that story funny. Even when we first reported it, I I thought it was kind of funny. Just Canadian vampires. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) I I guess, um, I guess we should leave it with that story. Shouldn't we? We'll we'll leave it on a little bit of an up note. Canadian vampires. Sounds good. Yeah. The name of the book is family, friends and neighbors story of stories of murder and betrayal. Visible ink. Press, which, by the way, they've been incredibly generous with. Uh, I, I got both the the hard copy of the book. I love the the hard copy of the book. Some great photos in here, and and it's just a, a beautiful book, by the way. And I got and I got a PDF copy. So, and if I can if I can spoil it for everybody here, I use Speechify when I when I when I read the book, Richard. I was telling you this off air, and yeah. so I got to read your your book in the voice of Snoop Dogg. So Snoop, Dogg, I can. I can. I kind of almost want to hear that. Like, uh, I can only imagine what I'll, that's like. I'll play it for you off air. You'll laugh. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah. So Snoop Dogg read read your book to me. Um, I also follow along with the words. I'm, you know, but it's it's just it's easier for me when I'm able to read the book and hear the book at the same time. It, sure. it hits harder with me. So, uh, but yeah, Snoop Dogg reading your book to me was was quite uh, entertaining. So there you go. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. I I appreciate it. <laughs> Uh, family, friends, and neighbors, stories of murder and betrayals available right now by Visible Ink Press. We have a link in the description of this show. Go get it, folks. Uh, it is it is very informative. Lots of lots of interesting stories, both stories you've heard, stories you haven't heard, stories that are uh, over a century old that, I'll tell you, are spine-tingling, that are... The only way I can describe them is 
they may turn your stomach. They may make you think twice about letting your family close to you. Uh, that will change the way you think about uh, your family. I'll tell you that much. And they are very entertaining stories of murder and betrayal. Uh, Richard, you've outdone yourself once again, my friend. Thank you, Tim. I very much appreciate your kind words. It's time now for us to lighten things up a bit. Let's bring in Mally Fox. It's time now for Dumb Crimes and Stupid Criminals. It's, it's Crayon News Story Time. What happened with this dude, Christ Bearer? I heard he uh, cut his penis off and then jumped off a balcony. Suspect pulls gun from butt, shoots twice at Denver police. What is your emergency? I need help. And what's the problem? I'm too high. You're too high? Yeah. It's that time again, the time you've all been looking forward to. It's time for Dumb Crimes and Stupid Criminals. And for a second straight week, we bring her in. She's a co-hostess with the mostest, Miss Mally Fox. Hi, Mally. Hi. <laughs> Just gonna have, uh, have to tell people that um, Papa Bruiser is in the ER, so we want to send uh, as much love, light, energy as we can to Papa Bruiser. Uh, Beer City Bruiser will be back next week. So, so Very cool. Yes, yeah, taking care of business on, uh, on that end. Um, okay, so Mally, there yes. was tension, there was excitement, there was anticipation all week, and then we got to this weekend... And people were wondering who was going to win the Royal Rumble. Who did you pick, Mally, for the Royal <laughs> <Just laughs> my, my condolences, dear, for um, the unfortunate uh, incident on Sunday. There was a lot of yelling at the television. I bet. I bet. Yes, um, a lot. <laughs> yeah. 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 So uh, Detroit, they, they made a good show of it. They, they uh, The first half was wonderful. Yeah, it was. Yeah. <clears throat> but then they lost momentum. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, boy, that but they, you know, for three quarters, it looked like it was mm-hmm. going to be Detroit's game. Yeah. I'll tell you that. I'll tell you that. I thought we were going to have a Detroit Super Bowl. I, you know what? I thought we were as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had all the snacks. I mean, I was set up. I bet. In front of the television. And then, yeah. I, in fact, I had to leave. For a little bit, because my anxiety started to kick in. <laughs> I was stressing out, and so uh, yeah, I retreated to my bedroom for a little bit to have a break. <laughs> <laughs> I don't handle stress well. <laughs> I'm one of those people, like in movie theaters, if I see a movie and it's very stressful, like an innocent person accused of some crime, and they're trying to prove themselves, you know, <laughs> the, I, I, it's like a, was it a flight or? fight or flight or whatever, where yes, I want yeah. to leave yeah. just for a moment and then come back. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I had my own PTSD moment watching the Baltimore Ravens dressed in purple choke away a championship game. I thought I was watching a Vikings championship game. I, yeah. I, you know, I, 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 I went, oh, my God, it's, 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 it's Randall Cunningham, Dante Culpepper, Fran Tarkington. I don't know who it is. It was just Lamar Jackson. Um, yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> couldn't believe how badly the Ravens played. Um, although I told you this joke earlier, and I'll tell it again. Uh, Travis Kelsey was catching anything that was thrown at him. He even caught herpes. Um, 
And I think the, the reason it, he did so was he was promised by Tay-Tay that if he got the Kansas City Chiefs to a Super Bowl, uh, he was going to get a threesome with Beyonce. You don't think he's going to like ask her to marry him after the if they win the Super Bowl, do you? Yeah. You know how like some people do that at Christmas time or Valentine's where it's like, dude, you ask the person to marry you later on, not on a holiday. Have you heard the rumor? Yes, I have. The so I'm just wondering if like he's going to if he actually is going to do it. The rumor is if they win the Super Bowl, he's taking the diamonds out of his new Super Bowl ring and he's going to have it made into a uh, engagement ring or wedding ring for her. I mean, it's sweet, but that's a little ridiculous. But like, keep that. Well, I think it's sweet. I, I think it's what he has two rings already. What does he need with a third? You know, well, little collection on the bookshelf. On the bookshelf <laughs> of his bachelor pad. Yeah. Um, hey, I saw his bachelor pad. That place is huge. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't live in a small apartment in <laughs> Queens or anything like that. Right. Uh, yeah, he's kind of got a nice place. The other part of that, too, is if he wins the Super Bowl, he gets to run a train on the Grammys. So there you go. I mean, it's good for him. I mean, she's got lots of things to pay him off with. Mm-hmm. So that's nice. Um, but uh, I don't know. So who does who does the Fox household uh, root for now if uh, in the Super Bowl? Um, well, I think we're going to try and go with San Francisco. Okay. So only because the Chiefs have won previously yeah, a few times. Yeah. And <clears throat> we're not a big fan of Mahomes. Really? Yeah. Kind of think he's a little smug and I don't like his wife. So <laughs> <laughs> like uh, I know her personally. You know, but <laughs> you know, like a guy who sounds like Kermit the Frog? Yeah. I mean, his commercials are funny. Yeah. But um, I just I kind of look at the significant other and I don't like her. I've read too many stories, heard too many stories that she is just not polite to people. Yeah, yeah. So especially in the, you know, the food, hotel, whatever industry, I just, I don't think she's a nice person. Well, she's hanging out with a higher class of people now. Right. But I bet you she is hating it that the attention is not on her anymore. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, but I like, and I know he's not into it, but I like Jason Kelsey. I love him and his wife and the girls. They are hilarious. I watch their podcast once in a while. Mm -hmm. Now, I like them. They are good, wholesome, you know, humor. So I like them. Yeah. I know they're not in the Super Bowl, but. (laughs) No, but by proxy. Yeah. 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 By proxy. Yeah. So. I don't know. It'll be tough. It's a, I don't really know. Who are you voting for? I don't know if I'm rooting for anybody. I think Kansas City's probably going to win this game. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't see once the way they played on Sunday, I, I don't see anybody beating them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if they, if they bring that game to Las Vegas, they, they win. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty hard to beat Kansas city when they play like that. Yeah. But they uh, haven't they, played well. Yeah. They are a little beat up though. Baltimore took it to them. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, it, the 49ers to me didn't didn't play their best game but still managed to beat Detroit which I they only played good in the fourth quarter in, right you know in the in the end of the third beginning of the fourth yeah it, and it was a close game i mean what was it 30 31 to 34 yeah 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 so i mean that's 31. that's close everyone's saying that they should have um not uh, what was it 
at the end, not a uh, not gone for it on fourth down. Yeah, because Derek kept yelling it. Yeah, why did he choose that? Well, there <laughs> were two times where Dan Campbell went for it on fourth down where he should have kicked a field goal. I think mm-hmm. if he does that, they win. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Derek thought they should have done that. Yeah, it. In 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 that case, he was too aggressive. And, and Dan Campbell, to his credit, he's an aggressive coach, and, and he should. Uh, you know, that's what got you there. That's, yeah. that's what gets you to the dance. That's also what kills you. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. But Yeah, because I think his nickname is what, Gamble Campbell or something yes, like that? Gamble I think Campbell. that's what they call him. Yep. Yeah. But Hey, know. we got farther than we've ever been. That's so right. This, towards the Super Bowl. So, hey. That's right. I'll take it. Maybe next year we'll actually make it. Although there was a story today, Mel. Your, your head coach says he thinks that's probably the best shot you had. Oh, are you serious? Yeah. He said he thinks that's probably the best shot you had for getting to a Super Bowl. But uh, I, I'm of a mind and the optimistic mind that Detroit will be there for quite some time. Well, hopefully, because the fans sure love them. I mean, this whole state has been just I went to the bakery and everything was like blue and white. Yeah. yeah. And gray, but it was I, just like sprinkles on everything. I think that team has a very good nucleus. I think they're, uh, I think they're going to be there for for a few years. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't put it past them that they're gonna they're gonna rule the NFC North for a few years, and I think they're going to be, uh, I think they're going to be in it for a long time. So mm-hmm. I think well, they're here crossed, to stay. Knock on wood. What's that? Fingers crossed, knock said on wood. fingers crossed and knock on wood. That's right. That's right. Well, we got dumb crime, stupid criminals today, and boy, oh boy, do we. We have an extended not safe for work uh, section today. I, I don't know oh. what this is all about, but hey, we, we've, we've got it. Let's start it out, though, a little mild, shall we? We'll just okay. talk about stolen cars. A Dallas suspect called 911 to report his car is stolen after running from a deadly crash, just according to an arrest affidavit. We go to Dallas, where pal- uh, police have charged a 26-year-old man in a deadly hit-and-run that killed a woman Wednesday morning. Investigators said he lied to police about the crash that he caused. Billy Ray Williamson. That sounds like a man who's probably killing people on the road. Uh, faces- <laughs> or a country singer. Oh, yes, or a country singer. Is that is that common for country singers? Sounds like a man who'd kill people on the road or a country singer. <laughs> it sounds like a Jeopardy category. Yeah. <laughs> for 500. I'll take it for 500. That's right. People who kill people on the road or a country singer, Alex. Uh, Billy Ray Williamson faces a charge of collision involving death in connection to the crash in Pleasant Grove. Police said Williamson was traveling at a high rate of speed when he lost control of his SUV. The car hit a curb, a traffic signal pole, and rolled across the road before crashing into a Toyota Corolla, waiting at a red light at the intersection of Jim Miller and Bruton Roads. The 42-year-old driver of the Toyota, Maria Guerrero, later died at a hospital. Her family said she was on her way home from work and less than a half mile away from home when she was killed. That's tragic. Guerrero's niece, uh, Marlene Hernandez, said, Strong, independent, loving, and caring are miss her so much. She was like a second mom to a lot of us. Police said Williamson ran from the scene. Witnesses told police that Williamson climbed out of the window of his car and took off on footwell, bleeding from his head, according to an arrest affidavit. About five hours after the crash, police received a 911 call from a gas station about three miles away from the crash site from a man who claimed he had been robbed at gunpoint and his car had been stolen. 
Mm. Not the smartest thing in the world to do. Court documents said when police arrived at the gas station, they found Williamson, whose clothing and injuries matched what witnesses had said about the person who ran from the scene of the deadly crash. Police said Williamson was not wearing shoes. A rubber boot was found wedged under the driver's side dashboard of the suspect's vehicle, according to an arrest affidavit. What kind of person would do that to an innocent person who didn't deserve that? She was coming from work, Hernandez said. The 26-year-old suspect also had outstanding warrants in Rockwall. Williamson is being held in the Dallas County Jail on $50,000 bond. I'm going to have you feast your eyes on the guy who's killing people on the highway, Mally. Oh, geez. Yeah. There you go. Uh, let's lighten up a little bit from there. We, we have more highway crimes today, Mel. Uh, okay. And we're staying in Texas. Now, this is an unusual story. I want you to guess for me real quick how long it takes you by car to go from Texas to Colorado. Oh, boy. Uh, I'll say, well, depends where they are in Texas. I'm going to go with nine hours. That's a good guess. I mean, you know, it's a fair fair distance. Now, to go from Texas to Colorado Springs, okay, so that's South Colorado. Would you still say nine hours or maybe eight or seven? go for it like let's do seven i like oh. your seven and, and that's going at a good clip right mm-hmm. okay this man allegedly went from colorado springs or from te- this texas man went from oh i'm sorry let me reverse that now to go from colorado springs to denver now we're going from the center of the state to south uh, center of the state to the south of the state how long do you think it would take maybe three it's Three a good, four? yeah, good estimate. A couple hours, right? Mm-hmm. He did it in twenty minutes. <laughs> Wait, twenty he zapped himself. Twenty minutes, and now he's surprised that he has an arrest warrant. <laughs> you, you, you just can't travel that fast. A viral YouTube video of a Texas man allegedly reaching speeds of one hundred and fifty miles an hour on a motorcycle has been taken down. But among its viewers was the Colorado State Patrol. You probably shouldn't put that online. Oh, my gosh. That's scary. Yeah. Uh, that video now, or I'm sorry, the Colorado State Patrol now wants to award the man criminal charges for his driving. 32-year-old Rendon Dietzman of Justin, Texas, goes by Gixer Bra on YouTube. <laughs> oh, jeez. What a name. And post videos from a camera mounted to his helmet while driving his motorcycle. A video titled From Colorado Springs to Denver in 20 Minutes appeared to show him traveling at high speeds while weaving in and out of traffic in December of 2023. The video has been since taken down, but Colorado State Patrol announced this week that they've issued an arrest warrant alleging Dietzman uh, violated several laws and put hundreds of people in jeopardy. Let's see if this is, is this the... uh Oh, the video's not moving. I was going to say the video popped up, but it's not moving. So otherwise, I'd show it to you. Uh, the drive, by the way, takes about an hour. It's not, oh, it's not a couple hours, but it's an hour on Interstate 25, which has a speed limit of 65 to 75 miles an hour, depending on where you are. An increase from 55 miles an hour in 2014. So they have up the speed limit on that stretch, mail. Not that much, but they no, <laughs> not yeah. 150 miles an hour. But you know they they have upped it to 
to make it a little more tolerable. Illegal and reckless driving behavior will not be tolerated in Colorado. Colorado State Patrol Sergeant Troy Kessler said in a statement, we care too much for those traveling on our roadways to ignore the blatant disregard for the safety of others. Being arrested for driving the way Dietzman allegedly did is the best case scenario, Kessler said. Uh, Considering the alternatives can result in death or serious injuries. If you drive like this, you can expect to be arrested when you are located. This is the best outcome for a person who drives violently since the smallest mistake could result in the death or that of an innocent person in the area. We simply have no tolerance towards someone who so blatantly disregards the well-being of the community, said Kessler. By the way, Justin is a city in the Dallas-Fort Worth metro area, and the Colorado State Patrol said it worked with the Dallas Police Department to identify Dietzman, whose videos appear to show him driving to speeds up and around 180 miles an hour in some cases. His YouTube channel has around 250,000 subscribers and almost 20 million views across his almost 500 videos. When you said, by the way, I thought you were going to say that he, someone put up a GoFundMe for his bail. Oh, I was God. Pissed. <laughs> you know, that I wouldn't put it past anybody, though, to, to do that, would you? I wouldn't put it past if they're idiots to watch this guy going 150, 180 miles an hour. Yeah. So, I mean, the, yeah. hor- the horror stories I hear from Derek, who is a, you know, firefighter EMT person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of motorcycle accidents for people going like 45, you know, hello. If you're going that fast. Ugh. The thing that bothers me, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not picking on the motorcycle community here. You see the bumper stickers start seeing cycles, right? Start mm-hmm. seeing motorcycles. Right. Yeah. But then I always see, I always, always, always see cycles in traffic that are going 90, 100, 110 around traffic, especially here in the Twin Cities metro area. And it's always weaving through traffic in Mm -hmm. downtown areas. Yep. Always. And it's hard to say, we'll start seeing cycles. And it's, it's never, no, don't get me wrong. It's not Harleys. It's not hogs. Right. It's, it's like not, those crotch rocket ones. That's right. It's always crotch rockets. It's never the respectful riders. It's mm-hmm. never the, you know, it's never the, the older riders. It's never the guys who are retired and, and you know, mm-hmm. older cycle members or, or club members or anything like that. It's always these young kids on the crotch rockets that want to, you know, they're speed demons. Right. Half the time they're wearing shorts and no helmets. Yeah. Yeah. And they're zipping through zipping mm-hmm. through traffic like they couldn't care. Well, it's easy to tell us, watch what you're doing. But nobody's telling these kids, watch, watch what you're doing. Right. You know? Yeah, because one minute you look back to merge, they're not there. And then the next minute they are, you're like, whoa, where'd you come from? Yeah. Because you have those blinds, blind sides. So. Yes. Or they <clears> zip <throat> in front of you and all of a sudden slow down. Right. Yeah, because they're, you know, they're they're trying to make time, but they don't care that, you know, what you're doing. So Mm -hmm. let's move on. Um, There's different places you can hide if you're a drug suspect, but there's certain places you shouldn't hide, Mel. And this (laughs) drug suspect decided hiding inside of a dryer would be a good idea. (laughs) Never a good idea. Uh Uh-huh. A Louisiana contortionist who's all of 26 years old decided... He was going to hide in a dryer after um, trying to uh, evade police on a cocaine charge. A suspected cocaine dealer was found hiding inside a dryer in the kitchen area when police 
raided a Louisiana residence on Saturday, that according to court filings. Armed with search and arrest warrants, cops arrived at a Monroe, Louisiana home seeking to collar 26-year-old Darren Pittman, who allegedly had been selling crack from the two-bedroom apartment. (laughs) (laughs) Investigators were met by 19-year-old Michelle Smith, who yelled several times at Pittman her boyfriend was not at the residence. That's pretty much a giveaway that he's at the residence when you go. Right. He's not here. He's not at the residence. No, Mr. Pittman is not here. And when they're talking through the door, rather open, rather yeah. than opening it up. Right, right. Uh, Smith would be subsequently arrested for obstruction when she allegedly sought to keep officers from entering said property and searching the property. 18-year-old, I don't know if this is Chad or Chade. Johnson. It's spelled C H A D E. Huh. Shade? It could be shade. People have such exotic spellings and pronunciations of their names (laughs) these days. Really, they should just stick with the old fashioned stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. I was also busted when he fought with police after arguing the validity of the search warrant. Let's not play uh, dime store uh, attorney when they show up at the door. You know, probably should call a real one. Yeah. Charged with resisting obstruction and felony battery of a police officer. Shade or Chade. (laughs) (laughs) Johnson put all the officers on scene in great danger by interfering with the execution of the warrants. For his part, Pittman was not initially visible when cops arrived and tangled with Smith and Johnson. But the 766-square-foot apartment did not offer an abundance of places to hide. Uh Uh-huh, but there was one place, Mel. I love this. I love this graphic in the story. The snuggles? Yes, there's a little snuggle (laughs) softener. softener. Yeah. (laughs) Softener box because evidently they couldn't get a picture of the real dryer. Uh, In a probable cause affidavit, a Monroe police department officer said that cops had detected movement in the kitchen before entering the apartment. Pittman was later located inside the dryer in the kitchen area where the officers heard movement earlier. How long do you think he thought he was going to hide in there? Probably wasn't even thinking. He's like, maybe, he th- maybe he thought they were just kind of peek around and go, oh, not here. We give up. Let's just go. <laughs> Nobody here but us humans in the dryer. Yep. Yep. Uh, court filings deny detail Pittman's height or weight or how he was able to squeeze into the dryer. I have, I am terrified of confined spaces, so I would not do very well. I'm very claustrophobic. Oh, I am as well. Oh. I'm so claustrophobic. I have to have four Klonopin just to get into an open-sided MRI. I don't know how you put yourself in a dryer. Mm. Mm. Facing felony and misdemeanor drug counts, in addition to warrants charging him with failure to appear in court in connection with two prior criminal matters, Pittman is locked up in lieu of $17,250 bond. (laughs) All for hiding in the dryer. Smith and Johnson, by the way, also remain in custody. Hiding in the dryer, man. I saw yesterday a clip from, uh, I think it's called, is it Pawn Stars? Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's the one that takes place in Detroit. Anyway, this guy climbed into a refrigerator and put like a hose, like 
stuck it out so he could breathe because <laughs> he was playing. He's playing. Well, I don't know if this was set up, you know, like sometimes these reality television shows. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, some guy wa- watched him go into a refrigerator, shut the door. But he had this hose that was probably maybe a couple inches long so that he could try and breathe because he was going to he was going to rob the place after they closed the door. Oh, my God. <laughs> Been watching too many Indiana Jones movies. I know. I'm like, did he not grow up in the 80s? You're not supposed to go in refrigerators. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure now they got that safety release thing, but I remember growing up, you know, hearing about, oh, this child died in a refrigerator because he was playing hide and go seek. Yeah, yeah. That was a big, a big deal. Could you not kick your way out of a refrigerator though? Did I really? think the older ones though, they sealed shut and you could not. Really. Yeah, hmm. I think, because I thought there was a couple stories of kids dying in refrigerators. Hmm. Okay, interesting. I would have thought the new ones you could... No, I'm sure the, the new ones you probably could. Yeah. I mean, this guy wasn't the brightest person. Yeah, I, I got it. But think, yeah, yeah, nowadays, I'm sure, safety and stuff. But back in the day, yeah. when we were growing up, uh-uh, those were death traps. Oh, yeah, yeah, they were, yeah. And they still work, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I think You'd... every parent has one of those fridges from the 80s or... You know, 70s or 80s in their garage for the extra pop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's still run on the real Freon that would kill yep. everybody in the house if it leaked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Uh, let's move on. A man shoots himself in the neck while trying to steal a car. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll thank Tony again for this story. We go to Memphis, Tennessee. A man allegedly shot himself in the neck while trying to steal a car from a dealership in Nutbush on Friday. There's something about shooting in Nutbush that makes me laugh. Uh, 26-year-old Joshua Garvins has what appears to be a bandage taped to his neck in his mugshot. Here's the mugshot, Mally, so you can take a look at what it looks like when you shoot yourself in the neck. I like how he's trying to look all tough. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, he's a toughie, that's for sure. Uh, 26-year-old Joshua Garvins has what appears to be that bandage taped to his <laughs> neck. And the, it just looks like he's got a piece of shit on the side of his neck. <laughs> you know what? Uh, Memphis police say he shot himself while trying to steal a car from Champion Auto Sales in, on Jackson oh Avenue. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it wasn't even that good of a car. No. No. He was charged with aggravated robbery. According to court documents, the victim who works at the dealership not that smart. Right. Was trying to sell a vehicle to Garvin's by taking him on a test drive. The victim told police he felt uneasy because Garvin's was acting peculiar. Peculiar. That's a new word I made up. Uh, Police say the victim got out of the car and took the keys with him, but that's when things took a sharp turn. Reports say Garvin's demanded that the victims give him the keys, at which point the victim denied. Uh, MPD says Garvin's allegedly threatened to kill the victim, and the two got into a physical altercation over the keys. The suspect then pulled out a gun. Witnesses say the two wrestled over control of the gun, and that is when shots rang out. An arrest report says a bullet hit Garvin's in the neck, and then he ran off. However, he did not get far. Garvin's was quickly taken into custody by MPD. The victim told WREG the Reg. Uh, that he was not injured and he is trying to move forward from that situation. Garvin's is set to appear in court uh, as we tape today at 9 a.m. So um, hopefully nobody pulls a gun on him in court. (laughs) Not like the one guy that went over flying over to the, uh, the judge's desk. Remember that story? Yes. Yeah. 
Because <laughs> wasn't he brought up on charges of like domestic violence or something? And then he goes after the judge. Yeah. And then he gets he gets uh, rung up on charges. He ends up getting sentenced and then boom, right over the yep. top of the. Yeah. Right over the top of the. Uh... Uh, let's move on. A Circle K clerk is battered with a chocolate egg. That's the best kind of battering, isn't it? <laughs> I'd like to get beaten. Was it a solid egg or was it the kind that has the gunk in the metal so it's softer? I think it's the Cadbury egg, Mally. Mm. Oh, I love getting beaten with Cadbury eggs. I'd pay extra for that, to be honest with you. I'd, I'd, uh, I'm wondering who I can pay to get beaten with a, Cad, a Cadbury egg. We're going to Florida, where uh, someone may ask you, so what are you in for? And if you say assault with a chocolate egg, you're probably going to get your egg scrambled, if you know what I mean. A Florida man was arrested Wednesday after allegedly striking a Circle K cashier in the forehead with a thrown chocolate egg and then hopping the counter to further batter the victim. Kind of like that judge in, in the courtroom. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> According to a criminal complaint, Edward Riordan, uh, the convenience store worker, tried to check out John Mihas as he was next in line. Look at this guy. That's your, that's your chocolate egg batterer right there. He looks like a douche. <laughs> According to a criminal complaint, Edward Riordan, the convenience store worker, was trying to check out John Mihas as he was next in line. However, for some reason, Mihas refused to let Riordan uh, handle his transaction. Instead, the 27-year-old Mihas was or, or walked over to another employee, rendered payment, and threw a chocolate egg towards the victim, hitting him in the forehead. The complaint does not indicate if the egg was a Cadbury, Kinder, or lesser Hershey concoction. Mm. Could be either one of those three, Mal. Is there a difference in consistency and hardness? I don't know about that. I know about flavor. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can tell the difference between Hershey and Cadbury. Right. If it's If it's like the European Cadbury. Yeah, yeah. One is more bitter than the other. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Or as, as the Europeans say, sour. They're most sour. As Riordan asked him to leave the Circle K, Mihas uh, became irate, cops say, and hurtled the counter to push and strike the victim's face. When subsequently questioned by police, Mihas reportedly admitted that he jumped over the register counter and struck the victim. Mihas was arrested for battery and misdemeanor and booked into the county jail for which he was released after posting. How much do you think to throw a chocolate egg at a cashier? Uh, I'm going to say bail was a thousand. Right on, Mally. Well, really? You've done this Dang, before. Huh? Out of the how many years? I probably got one right. Wow. Thousand dollars bond. Ding, 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 ding. I got to buy a lottery ticket today. That's right. You are a lucky gal. Mihas uh, lives a 10-minute drive away from the Circle K, which is located in Tarpon Springs. You ever been to Tarpon? No, I have not. No? No. Oh, you need to. You need to go. Have you been to Tarpon? Yes, many times. Really? Yep. Tarpon Springs is where the sponge docks are in Florida. Where the what? The sponge docks. It's, oh. where, it's where they harvest sponges. Okay. Yeah. It, they huh. have the most wonderful Greek restaurant in Tarpon Springs. <laughs> well, you shocked me. I totally thought you would have never been to Tarpon Springs. It is a central Gulf Coast city in, in Florida. It is the most wonderful little uh, seaside town. Okay. Yeah. Huh. They have a, in fact, 
they have a cigar store there for, for the mister. So, yes. so, you know, he loves his cigars that the, the original shop owner is now passed away, but they still have some of his original stock. He and his wife used to roll cigars for Castro. Oh, yeah. I have some of these cigars and they are divine. Mm. They are amazing. He even has, he had um, pictures of Castro up with a little target around him. <laughs> and uh-huh. You would walk in, you'd ask him about Castro and he'd say, the son of a bitch. And he would go off and he'd talk about what a son of a bitch Castro was. But he also would talk to you about the fine art of cigar making. Okay. We went to a place in New Orleans where we watched them roll the cigars mm-hmm. and um, you could buy them and stuff. But I saw them dip them in liquor. Yes, yes, yeah. And I had never seen that before. Yep. Bourbon or cognac, yes. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, but his sons have now since taken over the business. And okay. they roll they roll the cigars right there, out in front uh-huh. of the, uh, right in front of the store. Very cool. Yep. It's, and, and you know, I mean, it's kind of touristy. They have all these little touristy sh- shops. And it's, yeah. it's, it's a little touristy. But I like that tradition, though. There's also in Tarpon, Mallory. Okay. There is the best fudge shop you'll ever go to. I do love fudge. Oh, in this place. I usually get it when I go up to Mackinac. Mm-hmm. But, mm. Tarpon Springs has a fudge maker from Wisconsin. Oh. Who lives there. The guy moved down there in the, was it 70s or 80s? He's never left. Okay. Yeah, driving through Wisconsin, you always hit those fudge and cheese shops. Yep. And this guy, he... He moved down there. He went. He went down there for vacation to visit a cousin. He never came back. Oh, yep. That's kind of cool. Yep. So Tarpon Springs, Florida. Okay, I'm gonna have to check that out now. I yeah. love little towns. Yeah, it's a little slice of heaven, that's for sure. In a crazy state. <laughs> right. Yeah. Surrounded by yeah. nut jobs, but other than that. Yeah. But if you want a good Greek meal and then walk down just a little, like a block down the street. Uh huh. Um, there's also intern Yoko has a little spice shop she goes to and gets her spices. Um, yeah, it's just it's a it's a it's a great little town. Huh. Yeah, very so, cool. Yeah. Uh, let's move on. Oh, good God! I don't know that we should read this story, but we're going to. Uh, if you're <laughs> if you're squeamish about if you're squeamish about small animals getting destroyed, this is oh. a, this is not your story. A woman killed her pet gecko in a garbage disposal. The lizard was shredded to pieces during a fight with her bow. That's just nasty. A West Virginia woman was charged with animal cruelty after she placed a pet gecko, as we're talking about the kind on the Geico commercials, into a garbage disposal and turned the appliance on during a violent confrontation yesterday with her boyfriend. Uh, After receiving an anonymous 911 call, about a domestic disturbance at an apartment complex in Hurricane, which is a Charleston suburb. Cops spoke with a man identified as a domestic battery victim in a criminal complaint. The man told cops that he and 19-year-old Hannah Jones, by the way, this is a look at the gecko killer right here. Ugh. Yeah, I know. She looks, she looks mean. Yeah, she looks like a charmer, doesn't she? Yeah, like don't piss that lady off. Yep. Uh, 19-year-old Hannah Jones, uh, we're going, oh, listen to this. She, she is a charmer. Are you ready for the quote from 19-year-old Hannah Jones here, Mally? Uh-huh. The man told cops that he and 19-year-old Hannah Jones were going to have sex when they got home, but it did not work out as planned. 
A verbal argument followed, during which he called Jones a slut. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's always a good way to start an argument. Jones allegedly then struck the man twice with a curtain rod. First thing she could get a hold of. Right. Evidently, his rod wasn't big enough. You know what I mean? Uh, Leaving him with a knot and laceration in his forearm. Questioned about the confrontation, Jones reportedly confessed to hitting the man, adding that she threw flower pots, busted a fish tank, and turned on another apartment dweller. Boy, she's a charmer. She's got a lot of anger issues. (laughs) Yeah, she does. Oh, my. Mm. She further stated that she also took the pet gecko who went, Hello, no, put me down. No, seriously, it's not that serious. Maybe you should just get a piece and leave me alone. But no, the poor pet gecko they had and then put it in the garbage disposal and turned it on, shredding the pet gecko to pieces. God, that's awful. Evil, evil witch. That was according to a Hurricane Police Department officer. Jones was arrested for animal cruelty, a felony, and and domestic battery. She got that too, which is a misdemeanor. She was booked into custody. How much to shred your pet gecko? How much bond, Mally? I'm going to go because it's animal, animal cruelty. Let's go 1500 Oh, higher. You got to go higher. Oh, okay. 5000 One more time. Higher? Yep, higher. Ten. Yes! Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> you really need to buy a lottery ticket today. $10,000 bond for the gecko shredder, uh, but does not appear to still be behind bars, according to online jail records. So she made bond. It was probably her parents. Yep. They're probably scared of her. They probably are. They're afraid she'll come over and mm-hmm. rage, rage at them. All right, we're at our not safe for work part of dumb crime, stupid criminals today. Again, folks, if you're at work, uh, turn down your listening devices so the boss doesn't hear. If you're around the kids, um, put in your earbuds so that they don't hear because we're about to get saucy in three, two, one. Turns out, Mally, an army dentist sent revenge porn videos of SAS hero to a Cadbury heiress. <laughs> chocolate's in the news again. That's right. Chocolate's in the news again. <laughs> a British army dentist sent revenge porn videos to an, of an SAS hero to a Cadbury heiress. You may be saying, what's an SAS hero? I don't know. We're about to find out. Uh, 42-year-old Major Jennifer Wilson sent the sensitive pictures and video of 47-year-old Christian Craighead to his girlfriend, Toby Jane Cadbury, who's all of 36 years old. I don't know. Do you want to see old balls, Mally? (laughs) Not really. I don't want to see young balls either. (laughs) Hi-oh! Uh, <laughs> Wilson <laughs> pleaded guilty to one count of sending indecent or grossly offensive electronic messages. And boy, is that gross. Uh, causing distress or anxiety contrary to the Malicious Communications Act. Aylesbury Crown Court heard that Wilson sent the images to Ms. Cadbury between June 14th of 2022 and March 10th of 2023, according to the Daily Mail. Ms. Cadbury is the great-great-granddaughter of the chocolate baron Richard Cadbury. God, I would love to have that as my history. <laughs> right? Yes. There's a couple of... Egg- Out of all the things to be an heiress of, chocolate would be like my number one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Chocolate than oil. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> chocolate because you could get into the product and just not care if you have money or not. I always think of like the chocolate, what was it, the um, Willy Wonka chocolate factory with that kid and just swimming in a vat of chocolate. Oh, yeah. Just, ah. This is this is what you look like if you're a chocolate heiress. Why are her eyes blacked out? Uh, that's that's all the makeup she has on. Oh, yeah. she looks like a black-eyed kid. She does, doesn't she? She's got too much uh, too much mascara on. So is this a jealousy thing then? If though, because you um, said it was a girl sending the heiress a video of the S A the S A S guy. Oh yeah, we're we're Correct? continuing here. Uh, Wilson okay. was also accused of stalking Ms. Cadbury uh, through media accounts called. Mike Wood Alley 53 and Crazy Fredo 87. Crazy Fredo 87. That's going to be my new nickname. Uh, she pleaded not guilty to the charge and entered the same plea for an allegation of perverting the course of justice. That's a great charge, isn't it? Uh, Judge Recorder Wright ruled the first charge would lie on file and the second allegation was dismissed. After prosecutor Neil King offered no evidence, the mail said, Recorder Wright told Wilson of Highcomb Bucks that she would be bailed pending sentencing reports, maximum time in prison for sending sexual photographs and film with the intention to cause distress. It's only two years in Britain. Hmm. That's it. Mr. Craighead, who served in the SAS after joining the Army at 16, was decorated for bravery for his role in defeating an Islamic terrorist attack. He was awarded the conspicuous uh, gallantry cross for the bravery he displayed in the attack on the Ducet D2 Hotel Complex in Nairobi in January 2019. He has since written a children's book after he was banned from writing a personal memoir about the incident in Nairobi. Mr. Craighead gained global acclaim after images of him dressed in civilian clothes wearing body armor, carrying an automatic rifle, and repeatedly entering the hotel complex to rescue civilians appeared in newspapers and on websites around the world. In a previous interview with The Telegraph about his upcoming children's book, he said, it's not the book people were waiting for. I know that, but I'm extremely proud of it. This book is not a response to not being allowed to publish another book. This is just a different project. He added, I don't care if it only sells three copies. I didn't write it to make money. I wrote it because I think... The story is really important and it helps someone that's then that's or if it helps someone, then that's really great. Uh, Wilson will be sentenced on March 27th at Aylesbury Crown Court. An army spokesman said, we are aware that Major Jennifer Wilson has been released on bail by Aylesbury Crown Court pending sentencing. As the case is yet to conclude, it would be inappropriate to comment further. They then said, oh, balls, balls, balls. There's balls everywhere. <laughs> Old balls, younger balls, just balls. Balls, juggling balls, flying through the air. Balls, balls, balls. Oh, look, heavy balls. Um, hmm. Balls. You know, I, I just feel like the kind of mentality that these women have, or men, you know, being a stalker, I just don't think that two years is going to do it. I think that that mentality, it just, it will always be there. She'll either go back to stalking again or she's going to find for that unfortunate you know couple mm -hmm. or she's going to do it to somebody else it just seems like her personality two years is not going to change her no not at all 
I mean, she's very spiteful for doing that. Yeah. She's not going to learn a lesson. She's no, going to uh-uh. find more pictures of balls. <laughs> Probably send them. <laughs> that's my guess until she uh, she learns a real big lesson. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, let's move on. Uh, there's a... Uh, there's a further story about, there's a, a story that took place last year about uh, the cheerleaders for the Carolina Panthers in a Tampa nightclub. There was okay. an incident there. The headline says, in the stall with those cheerleaders, witnesses oral statements, chronicle encounter at Banana Joe's. It's weird Tampa. that they say oral statements rather than verbal statements. I know, I think there is a... <laughs> bit of a correlation going on here it's taken three months but we finally obtained a complete copy of the police report detailing witness accounts of what allegedly happened between those two carolina panther cheerleaders in the bathroom of a tampa nightclub last november responding to an open records request hillsborough county prosecutors have provided the smoking gun with statements of three female witnesses who told cops what they saw transpire between 26 year old angela keithley and 21-year-old Victoria Renee Thomas in the Banana Joe's Lou. I always love it when they call the bathroom the Lou. Hello. The Lou. Hello. <laughs> That's a Seinfeld <laughs> thing, isn't it? Hello. Talking about the belly button that talks. I don't remember that you don't one. remember that episode? Uh-uh. Okay. Uh, the statements previously withheld by Tampa cops tell of moaning, going down, <laughs> and eyes rolling back to one woman's head as Keith Lee and Thomas allegedly cavorted in a bathroom stall. Oh, my. So the person that was there that observed it was standing there for quite a while to watch eyeballs roll back. Oh, yeah, I think they were Because if I walked on in on it, I would be like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And then, like, left. This person <laughs> stood there. They did the Howard <laughs> Cosell. For a long yeah. period of time. Yeah, they did the Howard Cosell. They called play-by-play on the day. Yeah. Yeah. Look at her go down, uh, so to speak. Well, it's a football <laughs> deal. You know, you got to call play-by-play. Play. Um, much to the consternation of a long line of women waiting to use the facilities. Now, see, there were some angry women that had to use the stall. Right. So they're kind of like, well, you finish already. <laughs> in fact, the cheerleader antics resulted in catcalls of bitches and whores from steam patrons. <laughs> Do women really get that catty? Uh, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah? They they were like, get it going now already. They're probably also drunk. Yeah, probably. According to the prosecutors, upon exiting the stall, Thomas punched one of the waiting patrons, Melissa Holden, in the face, and Keith Lee got rowdy when cops arrived to break up the brawl. Last week, Keith Lee pleaded guilty to disorderly conduct and obstructing a police officer was sentenced to six months probation for, on, on the misdemeanors. I'm shocked, dear Mahalia. I, I, I'm just shocked. You're smiling. <laughs> I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering if I can get a job at Banana Joe's. Um, <laughs> Thomas is facing more serious charges, including a misdemeanor battery count and a felony rap for providing a false name to a law enforcement officer. When she was arrested, an extremely intoxicated Thomas gave her name as that of a fellow Panthers cheerleader, 22-year-old Kristen Owen. Okay. 
Thomas also provided cops with a North Carolina driver's license issued to Owen, which she resembles Miss Owen, evidently. At that time of the incident, Thomas, who is referred to as Owen in the witness statements, was 20 and would presumably have needed ID showing her to be old enough to enter a bar. Okay. I was like, why does she have fake ID? But okay, she's only 20. Here are the two women in question that uh, decided they couldn't wait to go out for buffet. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. The one's cute. The other one, not so much, but she looks like she's scrappy. Like yeah. She could. Yeah. Like she, she <laughs> probably needed to do a little fighting along with her loving. I guess, yeah. If you know what I mean. <laughs> but usually in bars, the women's restroom has a, more than one stall. Maybe it was that busy. Yeah. Well. They were like, you know, open up. <laughs> <laughs> I got to go. I, I'm trying to think of how I tactfully put this. Um, I feel like go out to the car. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, more if, privacy. If we were in the men's bathroom, they'd say, hey, can you take it out of the stall and just do it right by the sink? Because, you know, guys got to piss here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, us, us guys, we wouldn't care that right. they were, you know, servicing each other. It's just, you know, could you not do it in the stall because we've got business to take care of? <laughs> <laughs> you know. I wonder if they're going to. I mean, what you do off duty, but I thought as a cheerleader for like a national, you know, like a football team, mm-hmm. you have behavior clauses. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to Santa Clauses, who was nowhere in sight. <laughs> it's um, the gift that keeps on giving to him. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I got to think both women probably will will not or do not have their jobs based on the, the arrest. Well, what about the third woman that gave her her ID? Is she going to lose her job with the... I think that was a fake ID. With her, oh, I her thought it was another picture. cheerleader. No, no, no. It was a fake ID based oh, okay. on... Okay, because I was like, I feel bad for that lady, too. Yeah, no, it was a fake ID, I think. Yeah. Gotcha. Let's move on. Um, we go from cheerleaders who seem to be a little bit rowdy to police officers who are even rowdier. Yeah, we go to uh, Columbus where a police officer pleads guilty to taking upskirt videos at an Illinois anime convention. Oh, geez. Yeah. Columbus police officer Adam Wynn remains on the force, at least for now, after admitting to taking upskirt video of a young woman at an anime convention near Chicago last year. The 27-year-old Wynn pleaded guilty January 9th to a Class 3 felony charge of taking videos under clothing, according to Circuit Court of Cook County online records. Court documents show Wynn uh, was sentenced to two years of probation, according to or ordered to complete... Uh, 100 hours of community service and pay more than $870 in total court cost fees or court cost and fees. Uh, he was also ordered to undergo evaluation and treatment for those who commit sexually oriented offenses. Uh, when who joined Columbus police in October of 2021 and appeared in promotional videos by the division of police attended a convention in late May of 2023 at the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center in Rosemont, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago. 
court records show Wynn was accused of pointing a camera under a female's skirt and took video without her consent. A grand jury indicted him in July of 2023. The division of police had placed Wynn on administrative leave with pay after his arrest. A listing of active police officers in Ohio uh, on the attorney general's website still shows Wynn as an active member of Columbus police as of Thursday afternoon of last week. The charge Wynn pled guilty to is considered a class three and non forcible felony in Illinois, meaning he remains eligible to possess a firearm in Illinois. Ohio law does not permit those with convictions for violent felonies to possess a gun. However, the Ohio equivalent of the crime Nguyen, or Nguyen, uh has pled guilty to isn't considered a violent offense. Federal law prevents the possession of a firearm by a person convicted of any felony with an exception for police or rather for people who are issued a gun by their employer for work purposes, such as a police officer or person in the military. However, Ohio law automatically disqualifies anyone with a federal conviction from being appointed as a police officer, according to the Ohio Revised Code, Chapter 737 of the Ohio Revised Code. It says in part that the director of public safety shall terminate the employment of a chief of police, member of the police department, or auxiliary police officer who pleads guilty to a felony. Now, Glenn McIntyre, a spokesperson for the Department of Public Safety, said Nguyen uh, remains on relieved duty status, meaning essentially that Nguyen is suspended with pay as of Thursday. So there you go. And finally, Mally. Yes. I know... Uh, Sometimes in a relationship, you may get into an argument over a questionable job choice. But you settle it uh, civilly, right? Uh, it depends. <laughs> what job would cause you to get violent? Well, not violent, but I would not be happy. It would be probably porn or, <laughs> you know, prostitution, something like that. Well, how do you solve that? <laughs> I don't think I could date anyone that was dealt with. Yeah, I couldn't date someone that was in porn. I couldn't. No? I don't like to share. Uh-uh. Yeah. Nope. That That's the end of the relationship right there. Though. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Well, this man had an interesting, um, let's just say solution to uh, okay. an argument about uh, the, uh, the argument with his woman. Uh, evidently, they were arguing about a new job that she acquired at a strip club. We go to, we go to Texas where a Texas man is accused of biting a woman's nose, disfiguring her after learning she was working at a strip club. Oh my goodness. Okay. That wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't be happy, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But biting the nose. Damn. Yeah. That's, that's gross. It's a little extreme. Yeah. Yeah. The alleged attack happened in July, but the man was arrested and booked on January 26th. According to Bexar County court records, investigators say that 34-year-old David Morin Jr. broke into the woman's apartment through a window at about 1 a.m. after she ignored several phone calls from him during the day. That, according to WOAI, the two had started dating in December of 2022, but Morin moved his belongings out of the apartment two weeks before the incident. That would tell me that that's over. Right? Right. You yeah, moved, the relationship well, is done. Right. Done, over, you moved your stuff out. Over. 
done. Right, right. Right. If he has to sneak in a window, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Morin found employment documents in the apartment, and police say he got into an argument with the woman about her working at a strip club. Morin started choking the woman, police told WOAI. He eventually let go and she moved toward the front door, but Morin grabbed her again and bit her nose, tearing a piece off. Ow! Ow! That is so weird. Just, I mean, I... You think he would slug... I mean, I don't condone to violence, but you would think you'd slug first before you bite off a nose. Some people get... You know how little kids get bitey when they're so angry? yeah. True. Yeah. I think he was one of those biters when he was a kid. Maybe. Yeah. Investigators say Morin ran from the scene and the woman was hospitalized and later referred to a plastic surgeon. You want to know the other thing that's dangerous about that, though, Mal? What? The bacteria in a bite. The infection? Yes. Mm. Potential infection. You can lose body parts when you're bitten by a human. True. Yeah. I could see, like, the nose getting an infection and, like, dying off, and then she's got that black nose. Yep. Yeah. But interesting gimmick at the strip club, black nose. <laughs> <laughs> Up on stage next. <laughs> Up on stage next. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome her to the stage, black nose. Black nose. Give it up for black nose. Hey, oh, you know what? Girl. Don't break out the ones and fives. Let's break out the tens and twenties for black nose. Ladies and gentlemen, black nose. You tell I've done this once or twice. <laughs> Go to a strip joint. You <laughs> talked about a girl with her nose about to fall off. No, I mean, like decay. Done a little DJ. Ah, yes. Yeah. She's close to your hearts and close to your wallets, ladies and gentlemen. Black nose. Black nose. <laughs> Break it out for her. Come on now. Sweet child what, of mine. Black nose. I was going to ask you, what song would you play? <laughs> um, her probably, girl whose nose is dying. No, be nobody knows. That's the song I play ah! for. Her. Nobody knows. Nobody knows it's black nose. Everybody black nose. <laughs> <laughs> that poor girl, though. I know. Uh, following his January 26th arrest, Morin's bail was set at how high, Mally, for trying to... Why do you do this to me? Chomping off the nose. How, how much did Morin get? I'm going to go with 100000 You're very close. A little bit lower, though. Oh. 85? A little bit lower. Eighty, $75,000. Okay. Yeah. You're very close, though. Very close today. He's charged with aggravated assault, causing serious bodily injury. An attorney listed in court records did not immediately respond to McClatchy News' request for comment. Although, I think a good comment was probably, ow, 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 ow. It's probably a good comment. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't smell her coming. Black nose, black nose. Here she comes. Black nose. She's got a nose for the business, but not on her face. Black nose. Here she comes. Black nose. Everybody, black nose. <laughs> That's all I got today for, for dumb crime, stupid criminals. <laughs> it's just tor terrible torn nose stripper jokes at the end. That's all I've got. Sorry, Mel. That's okay. I'll forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> the stupid criminal stories were slow this week. Yeah, a little slow. Yeah, a little slow this week. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, what you got going on? Oh, my goodness. I knew you were going to ask me this, and I am not prepared. <laughs> Nothing really. <laughs> I 
like to say I am, but nothing. What did you bake last week? You said you were gonna you're gonna do some baking. Oh, you, you know what? I ended up um, the pie crust was older than I thought it was Uh-oh. when I took it out of the fridge. Mm-hmm. So I have to go to the store and buy more pie crust to do the chocolate things I'm thinking of. Ooh. So I just made regular um, peanut butter chocolate chip cookies. <gasps> so good. So yes. Good. So. Uh, I'll probably bake more cookies. I just like baking cookies. It relaxes me. Yeah. yeah. So I'll probably do that. And then I have to go to the store and get the pie crust because I got to do something for Valentine's as a blog. You know what I mean? So, yeah. and I've got an idea in my head. There you go. Valentine's is yeah. right around the corner. That's yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. But other than that, nothing really. I'm kind of keeping an eye out. I'm like, from from the side watching everyone at host like paranormal events. And I'm like, ooh, do I go to this one? Do I go to this one? Because, you know, once winter ends the events start coming up so i don't know i got my eye on a couple of them that i want to attend but who knows that's right speaking of uh, thank you for the lead in mally speaking of uh potographs for pooches at the uh palmer house is coming up may 18th myself tim miley uh richard estep and uh we're we're 50 percent sold out at least at least Check, last check. I haven't checked it lately, but um, potographsforpooches.com. We also have a link at um, uh, darknessradioshow.com. Uh, come on out. Come on out and have a good time with us. It is a, uh, I know the one day event, but there's also a reception, I believe, on Friday. Okay. Um, by gosh, come on out. Help support the pooches and, and Eagle's Nest. Um, Eagle's Nest, uh, you know what I'm trying to say here, Mal. Eagle's Nest uh, Shelter. Okay. Is who's benefiting from this event. So uh, we want to get as many people out there as possible. Uh, by gosh, let's uh, let's support it. $79 ticket price, which is... That's a good price. Very good price. So let's, uh, let's all get together and support uh, the animals and yes. get this done. So I like animals more than humans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good thing to say. Plus they, they don't bite your nose off when you get a stripping job. I'm just saying, <laughs> uh, you know, that's, that's more than good there too. So um, May 18th. So looking forward to it. Um, I was passionate about wanting to get involved with this. So um, I'm glad Tim, uh, Tim uh, was, was passionate about having me aboard. So I'm, I'm really, really happy about being aboard with this. So um I can't wait. I, I really can't wait, Mally. This is this is uh, this is something I'm really really looking forward to. So I think it's gonna be fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. I haven't been to the Palmer in, in quite a while, so I haven't been to the Palmer since I left Minnesota. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. So check it out, potographsforpooches.com, or check out darknessradio or darknessradioshow.com to uh, to get a hold of your tickets for that. They're gonna go quick. I'll predict this. By the end of February, we won't be able to get uh, in. Won't be able to get in. Mm. Won't have a ticket available. So I wouldn't be surprised. So you better get it now. Uh, I want to thank Richard Estep for being on the show today. The book is so good. I'm telling you. That guy has a lot of books. Yeah, he does. A lot of books, but they're good books. Family, right. family Friends, and Neighbors, Stories of Murder and Betrayal. Uh, the book is about familicide about people taking out their families. Oh, okay. want you to uh, check it out. Check it out. Stories like, uh, I mean, everything from recent stories uh, to Marvin Gaye, the story of Marvin Gaye and, and oh, other. Oh, with his dad. Yeah. 
and and other such famous murderers, John List, Marianne Cotton. Um, I mean, man, you talk about some famous stories that are in here. Uh, Lizzie Borden is in here. Mm-hmm. Um, you've just got some some famous stories, some infamous stories. Ronald Gene Simmons, Scott Peterson. Mm. Except now they're saying, though, that he didn't. They're thinking that he might not have killed his wife. I don't know. The evidence is it was pretty. That 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 well, we talk about that today. Okay. Yeah. So so we get into it. We get into it. Casey Anthony's in here as well. Ugh. So yeah, there's there's lots of good stories in here. DeFeo murders are in here as well. Lots of good stuff in this book. So we want you to check it out. The Menendez boys are in there. Um, lots of good stuff in this book. Gypsy Rose Blanchard, we discuss her as well today. So lots of good stuff from Richard. Richard always has some good stuff. He's always yeah. always thorough with his research. And Richard has a book coming out on exorcisms and the demons and all that other stuff. That's coming your way too this year. Yeah. So yeah. Interesting cat. Real interesting cat. So again, support Richard. We've got a link in the description of this program to get your uh, copy of this book, which is phenomenal. The book, again, Family, Friends, and Neighbors, Stories of Murder and Betrayal. Tomorrow on the Big Show, Supernatural News, and then Thursday, returning to the program, Joshua P. Warren. Okay, blast from the past. Blast from the past. This show is going to blow your mind, folks. Sigils. A parcel of land near Area 51 where he's building a portal and, of all things, haunted dolls, including Kennedy, the haunted ventriloquist doll. <laughs> and a, Very interesting. And a wooden alien that's haunted. Okay. That was inherited from Art Bell. That's all I'll say. Oh, okay. There you go. If that doesn't pique your interest, nothing will. I, I don't have anything else left for you this year. If you don't want to listen to that show. You shot your shot early. That's right. If you don't want to listen to that show, I got nothing left for you for the rest of the year. I can't entice you with anything else. How do you like that? That portal thing is interesting. Yeah. Well, and the haunted dolls, but I'm very interested in the portal stuff. Building portals right near Area 51. Imagine that. On the edge of Area 51, this cat is building portals right in front of the government right huh what if they listen to this show and then they put a stop to it or has he already built the portals you'll find out on the show okay yeah yeah I see see (laughs) talk about building suspense all right that'll do it for today from Allie Fox I'm Tim Dennis thank you so much for listening to the best in true crime talk radio and join us tomorrow for the best in paranormal talk radio you're listening to true crime tuesday and darkness radio